are listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. Thank you guys for seat. Again, just to reiterate, please register for next Sunday. Um, we will be introducing the, the uh, two candidates uh, for elder uh, at our family meeting next uh, Sunday night for you to uh, see them and to... Uh, as per our bylaws, do you have to affirm the members of our CBC has to affirm any potential governing elders? And so that will be presented to you on next Sunday night. So that's it's an important time for us together. And then we'll have some food together. Go ahead and turn to Matthew, not Matthew. I don't know why my Bible's open to Matthew. That's a, uh, that was last year. Hebrews chapter five. Hebrews chapter five. If you're a guest this morning, we've been working through Hebrews and you came on a, a doozy. This is uh, one of the most challenging passages in all the Bible. And um, so you'll get to hear it this morning. Uh, and it's a heavy passage, but it's one that God, the Holy Spirit, has put there for us. So uh, I've told you before that I, I love cereal. I'm a cereal guy. And there's nothing like, especially when you have kids, when you say, it's cereal for dinner tonight. And it's like, ah, you know, you know, clean up. And it's very easy, cereal for dinner. Here, but here's the thing about cereal. You cannot live on cereal. I know some of you are thinking, yes, you can, because I eat kashi. I'm not talking about those kind of cereals, like grape nuts. This has neither grape nor nuts. Uh, I'm talking about the cereal that we all love. The, the cereals that all have two names, an adjective and a noun. Frosted Flakes. Cap'n Crunch. Fruit Loops, right? These are God's gift to man and children. Um, but you can't live on them, because you, can, you cannot survive on 65 added sugars, on high fructose corn syrup, on BHA and BHT and all these other things that are in these, you will not be healthy. You will not grow. So, you know, in the words of, of, of the old commercial, Silly Rabbit, tricks are truly for kids, all right? So at some point in life, if you're going to grow, if you're going to be strong, you have to grow out of the cereal bowl into legitimate food and something of substance and something that is healthy if you're going to grow. And, and what is true in the physical realm is true also in the spiritual realm, like so many other things. And the writer of Hebrews today is going to say that very same thing, right? He's going to say, put away the tricks, put away the lucky charms, and it's time to eat some steak. It's time to grow. It's time to grow. And, you know, again, this, cha- this passage is, in, is traditionally the most difficult interpretive passage in all the Bible, Probably. Right? It, it probably is. And, and, you, and, and I, you, some of you are going to be like, oh, I disagree. I, I don't, it doesn't really matter because the main idea of this passage is not what happens in chapter 6, verses 4 through 8. I mean, that, we can debate that all day long. I got a book here. If you want to read it, if you want to fall asleep in less than 20 minutes, here is your book. I've read most of it in preparation for this sermon. I can tell you, I, I didn't get through all of it because I fell asleep in my office while reading it. But if you want to read it, you are welcome to read it. Today, we're not going to solve the problem here. Like, all of a sudden, 2,000 years of church history, Bill Fowler finally preached the sermon that answered Hebrews 6. It's not going to happen. But I can tell you what the main idea of this passage is, and it's you need to grow up. Some of us need to put away the lucky charms and get yourself out of T-bone. And if you are, this morning, a vegan, I promise you I'm not trying to offend you. Uh, that's my disclaimer. I, I really don't care if you're offended if I use the word steak a lot because I'm going to use the word steak a lot. Just substitute tofu or Caesar salad. Every time I say steak, that's fine, okay? But understand, I'm going to use the imagery of the passage. The point is we got to put away the baby food and eat adult food here because the writer is going to challenge us to grow. 
He's going to tell us what growth looks like, and he's going to give us a very big warning right in the middle about what happens when we don't grow, but he wants us to grow, and so that's where we're going to go this morning. Uh, In Hebrews chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 11 through chapter 6, really all the way down to verse 12. And what we've seen in this book is it's it's a book, it's talking about the superiority of Jesus. The writer is writing to a Jewish audience, some of who have abandoned Christ and gone back to the law, and some who are teetering on that and are tempted for whatever reason. And he is writing to say, no, don't go back. Why would you go back to the lesser when you have the greater? Jesus is better than angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than Aaron. He's better than the temple. He's better than the old covenant. He's better. And he's trying to stir them on and press them forward. He warns them, don't drift. Don't don't fail to enter the rest that he's offering. And today he's going to say, don't be stagnant. Don't degenerate. Don't go back. Don't not grow. It's time to Grow. And so what we're going to see is we're going to see kind of admonition, and we'll get into the, the warning and the kind of the, the, the heaviness of that. And then we'll close with really, what, what does it look like to grow? Because he's going to encourage us in that way. So let me read the first four verses. It picks up really where Clint left off last week. We have a high priest who knows us, who understands us, who gets us, and who invites us. And so he is a high priest, verse 10 says, who is designated by, according to the order of Melchizedek. And you're like, what does that mean? He's not even going to get into it until next week, right? But he brings it up, and then in thinking about Melchizedek, he says this, about this, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk and not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child, But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So he he, he leads off and says, he mentions Melchizedek, and then he says, I want to tell you about Melchizedek. I really do. But I can't. Because it's, 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 a, it's a next level thing, and you have become dull of hearing. The word means sluggish. It's translated in chapter 6, sluggish. It's also translated lazy. You're thick. McFly, I'm talking to you, McFly. It's, it's that idea. You're not, you, you got earwax in the ear or something. You're not listening, right? By this time, you ought to be teachers. But you need someone to teach you the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk. You're on tricks. And tricks are for kids. And you need a T-bone. Everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Since he's a child. The idea is this. Okay, most of us, we're old enough now, we can sing the ABC song. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P. Right? And at the end, we, we know the song. We should be teaching the song to the three-year-olds, right? That's what we do. But what he's saying is, y'all are a bunch of 30-year-olds, and I'm having to teach you the ABC song again. That's weird. You should be teaching the song, not being taught the song. You should go out to eat after church today, and you should not need high chairs for your teenagers, can you imagine you walk into the restaurant, you see someone from church, and the, and the grandpa in his jacket over there, he's got a bottle in his mouth, and he's sitting in the high chair with a little bib, and you're like, that's weird. Yes. You should be ordering the barbecue or the club sandwich, not a whole milk in a bottle, in a sippy cup. It's a weird image. He said, that's what's going on in this church. You ought to be teaching by now. You ought to be grown up, and you're babies. You're, you're eating Lucky Charms. You can't handle it. You're unskilled. You're noobs. You're newbies. Right? 
you ought to be able to teach. And that doesn't mean you have to be a teacher of a class. That's not the idea. But the point is this. There comes a point in your Christianity that you should be able to sit around a, a kitchen table and pull out a napkin and write a few verses down that say, hey, this is how we know Jesus is God. Boom, 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 boom. John 1, right? This is the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, right? Romans 3, Romans 6. You should be able to do that at a certain point, but instead someone's having to say, all right, ready? A, B, C, D. He said, that, that's, that shouldn't be that case, right? That's not, that's not where we want to go. We want to be unskilled. Why? Solid food, steak, is for what? The mature, for grown-ups, for those who have the, their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And we'll come back to this because this is our, one of, I think, our key verse here. But the idea is there should be a progression in Christian faith. You become a Christian at whatever age, 30, 13, and you're now a baby Christian. And you are a baby, which means you know nothing. And you need to be taught. You need to be spoon-fed. And that's fine. But it comes a point where you actually got to learn to put on your socks yourself. And you got to take a step and get on the bike without the, without the, the training wheels. And you got to be able to then drive a car. And then you got to be able to learn your math. And then you got to be able to you got to take someone else in and you got to teach them. Okay, this is how you get on a bike. That's the progress. It's supposed to happen and it hasn't happened here. And, and I think some of us think that growth spiritually is just some kind of some mystical thing. We just wake up and it's like that, that Tom Hanks movie, Big, where I'm just like, oh, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a grown up now. And that's not the way it works. There's a progression and we're going to talk about what that looks like. But it doesn't happen if all you're eating is cereal. It's, it doesn't happen. If all you're, do, you're doing is drinking milk, that's for children. And so it is my job and whoever stands up here on a Sunday to give you a, a meal, right? To feed you and not to feed you lucky charms and, and not to be like a, a parent of a two-year-old who, you know, won't eat their carrots. And so what do we do? We get the little spoon. All right, here's a little plate. Oh, yeah. Ooh. Room, room, open up. Okay, it's not my job to stand up and say, all right, here's some Hebrews. Let me get some roller skates out and show you how cool Hebrews is. No, it's my job to say, here's your meal. Now, maybe I cut it up in small pieces so you don't choke. Put a little A1 on the side. That's great. But it's my job to feed you a steak. And so he's going to give us a steak here in this, in this passage. So he says in verse, chapter 6, verse 1, so let's, let's leave, therefore, in light of this, let's leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. So let's grow up. And he's not saying that Jesus is, is the little stuff. That's not his point. His point is that's foundational, but we don't just stay at the foundation and just stay there. We build upon the foundation. The ABC song, I use it every day. I don't sing it every day, but I use the truths of the A, B, C, D, elementary, because I, I read. And so I've built on that foundation. It's imperative that I know it. I don't go to, you know, if I don't go to my office in the morning and get my commentators out and I pull out my copy of Goodnight Moon and like, Good night, moon. Good night, stars. No, that was foundational, but, and, and, I, and I've built upon it, and it's important. I don't leave it, but I don't use it daily. And what he's saying is, look, I, we don't need to go back and talk about repentance from dead works. We really need to talk about that sin still. You've been saying every week for two, for two years now, I'm not going to ever do it again. Are you ever going to do something about that? We don't need to go back there. You know that already. Do I need to talk about faith towards God? I, yes, we need to encourage one another, but do you really need me to tell you you should trust God? You should trust, he's, he's great, he's big. We need to be encouraged in that, but we don't need to learn about that again unless you're a baby. 
We don't need to talk about washings. And the washings there is, is the Jewish ceremonial washings. Like I got to wash my hands before I eat. I got to wash my hands before I do this. You know that that stuff doesn't do anything. You know that Christ washes you. Come on. Laying on the hands. That's, that's it. The sacrifices where you lay your hands on the sacrifice. And this is my sin. Jesus took our sin. Come on. The resurrection of the dead and the eternal judgment, which was taught in the Old Testament, but revealed clearly with Christ. We need to go back there again? Y'all want to argue? Some of you all want to argue about eschatology? Go argue. Go all talk about, you know, Nikolai Carpathia and getting left behind. Go, go talk about that stuff. But his point is, stop, let's, let's, let's act like Jesus is coming back, not talk about when he's coming back. Let's move on. That's, that's what he's saying. Let's grow. You got to grow up at some time. You got to get off your cereal and let's, let's eat some meat or some tofu, whatever, all right? And so he says, and we're going to do that, verse three, and this we will do if God permits and God is going to permit. So what he's going to do then, he's going to say, okay, he's going to say, let's put the tricks bowl away and he's going to provide a steak. He's going to bring out the old 96er. For some of you, you know the old 96 here. Okay, some of you, if you know that reference, then you're our people here, okay? But he's gonna bring out this big old steak, the hardest steak in the, in the entire Bible to kind of chew. And it's, it's a challenging passage. And there's been debates upon debates on what it means, right? I'll give you kind of the top three or four, five kind of explanations and help you land where I am. But it doesn't take away from the fact that he's pushing us towards growth. Here's what he says. All right, here's your steak. Four, it's impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away. Remember, the, the key word is it's impossible. To, so, and it, so there's a long sentence. It's impossible since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and to holding him up to contempt. Why? For the land that has drunk the rain, that often falls in it and produces a crop useful to those whose sake it has been cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and in the end, it is to be burned. And so the debate and the struggle for those is, who, who's he talking about? Those who have been enlightened. I mean, this is a great, if you just had up till like verse four, man, this sounds awesome. They, they've shared in the heavenly gift. They've tasted, they've, they've tasted the goodness of God, Right? And then they what? They fall away. And so the, the big question is, who was he talking about? Who, who was he referring to? And so the main kind of big five positions are this, real quick. And again, you can read about this. You go online, anything. First, one position is that this is a group of people who became Christians. And then at some point they said, I don't want to be a Christian anymore. So they lost their salvation and they walked away from the faith, right? That's one position. Very, it's more Arminian or Wesleyan background. That's that position. Uh, another position is that these are Christians who have just fallen into deep sin and they're still Christians, but basically at the judgment seat of Christ, when they stand before Christ in the judgment seat, they will lose reward. They will have no reward. They kind of make it into heaven by the, by the, you know, they're smelling like fire, right? You barely, barely made it. No reward for you in the kingdom. A third option that's out there, it's pretty popular, is that this is a hypothetical situation. If this could happen, and it can't, this is what would happen. But since it can't happen, it doesn't really matter. That, that's the position. And that's held by some, some good scholars. Uh, four, fourth position is that this is a historically unique situation that can't be repeated. Because I, I am not Jewish, and I cannot go back and worship at the temple or worship with sacrifices like they were trying to, because there is no more temple, and there is no, it's illegal to kill lambs, so I can't go back and reject Christ and go back to Judaism. So this is not a repeatable sin, much like 
And the gospel is the, the blaspheming of the spirit where they're saying Jesus is healing these people and he, they're saying it's by the devil. I can't repeat that because Jesus is not walking the earth and physically healing people like that again and I can't attribute what Jesus is doing. So it's, they, they would argue that. That's, that's a position that's very popular. And then the last big position is that these are folks who look like Christians, have been around Christians, even acted like Christians, but at some point, for some reason, they walked away from the faith. And this is the more reformed or Calvinistic position. Um, and so which one do I hold? Which one is true? Well, I would say this. Four of the five are possible, right? Could be four of the five. The reason I say four is because whenever you come to a challenging passage, here's your, the, the, the main thing you need to remember is always interpret what is difficult in light of what is clear, right? So if you have a thousand verses that say this and then you have one that seem to say something else, I'm gonna interpret this in light of this. It can't be talking about this because the Bible doesn't contradict itself because it is possible for God to lie. So, so we say, so what, the reason I say it's only four of the five are possible because the first option that these people were Christians who lost their salvation, that is not possible because a true Christian cannot ever lose their salvation. I could do a whole sermon on it. Let me just give you a few reasons. If you've been forgiven of all your sin, past, present, and future, how do you then go from forgiven of all sin you've ever will commit or have committed and then now you're not anymore? And that implies that the atonement of Jesus is not sufficient for any future sin of yours. If there's something you could do to lose your salvation, that means there's something you could do to gain your salvation, right? So Ephesians 1, when you are born again, you are regenerated, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. You think you're strong enough to break the seal of the Holy Spirit on your life? Jesus says, no one is able to snatch my people out of my hand. The Father who is greater than I, no one is able to snatch you out of him. You're going to snatch yourself out of Jesus and the Father's hand? Are you that strong? You ain't that strong. Right? Not to mention, how do you become born again and then unborn again? How do you have a new heart and become an old heart? It's impossible. Your name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the world. Is there an angel that's in charge of erasing names once people, oh, John's out now, get him out. Okay, so the plethora of scripture. So it can't be that these were Christians who lost their salvation. Could it be that these are Christians who lose reward? Possible. Because there are Christians that will lose reward because of unfaithfulness. But I think the language of this text of being burned and cursed is a little strong that's never used of the people of God. So I don't think we're talking about Christians here. Is it, could it be hypothetical? Possibly, but really a hypothetical warning is not really much of a warning. I mean, if you tell me, Bill, Bill if you ever dunk a basketball, be sure to land with your knees bent. That's a great warning and it means nothing because I will never in my life dunk a basketball. It's a hypothetical warning, unless it's a six foot goal. Yeah, you know what I mean? I don't need to worry about bending my knees. It's not gonna happen. So why a hypothetical argument if, you're not, if it's not possible? It loses its power. Could this be unique to this, this group of people? Possibly, but, but that's just not a great hermeneutic for, there's a lot of things that are unique for this group of people that aren't, that, that aren't for us, but he's used Israel in the wilderness as an application for us. I'm not in the wilderness. I'm not crossing a Jordan. I'm not going into a promised land. So it's not, it's not how we typically interpret the passage. I think the best option is that these group of people, whoever they were, were in church, around Christians, acted like a Christian, went to small group, served, went on a missions trip, walked an aisle, got baptized, had, a, had their own Bible with their name on it. And at some point, for some reason, whatever, they walked away. And it wasn't just they fell into sin. It wasn't just, oh, they messed up. They actually said, God, I do not believe it anymore. I think you're bogus. I think it's junk. I think Christianity is a sham. I don't believe in Jesus. I don't believe in God. I believe in nothing. It's a complete 
stiff arm to God. That is who they were in the church, and now they are no longer in the church. And he says, when that happens, it is impossible to restore them to repentance. Why? Because they're crucifying the Son of God again. They're basically saying, kill him again. I don't care. He's nobody. He's a nothing. He's just a man. And that is a dangerous place to be if Jesus is, what Hebrews 1 says, the exact imprint of God the Father, that he is, the, that he is God in a body, that he is creator, sustainer. That's a dangerous place to be. But that's where these people apparently are. Right? Kill him again. I don't care. Kill him again. And, and so the challenge is, man, but they sound like believers. Right? They've been enlightened, which means they've been exposed to truth. They've shared in the Holy Spirit, which means they could have shared in the gifts of the Spirit. Maybe someone prayed for them. Maybe they felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit of sin. They've tasted of the heavenly gift, which is the gospel. There's a taste. It's not necessarily a swallow, but they've tasted it. If you invite us over our house and you cook green bean casserole and say, hey, would you try my green bean casserole? I'll taste it. I ain't going to eat it, but I'll taste it. I ain't going in. That's them. They've, they've tasted the goodness of the word of God. They've sat under the preaching of the word. They've heard it. They've actually maybe even intellectually believed it at some point. Right? But for some reason, whatever, they walk away. You say, well, have, do you have any examples of this in the Bible? I have one, a big one, Judas Iscariot. Did Judas taste of the heavenly gift? Yes. Judas apparently did miracles. I don't even know what to do with that. He was sent out by Jesus, two by two. Remember, they went out and they healed and they cast out demons. He did all sorts of things. Did he hear the best preacher ever? Yes. Did he? I mean, he, he was so in that when, he, when Jesus basically tells everybody in front of him, you're the one, you're going to betray me, they still don't believe it. Go do what you're going to do. They think he, he's talking about money. So if, uh, Jesus is a great example of someone like this. You know, and, and I'm not smart enough and I don't have eyes to see people's hearts. Is there a place where, is there a line that people cross that, that they can't repent anymore because they've walked away? That's what it seems to say. I, I look at a guy, I, you know, got saved in the 90s and loved the Christian music of the late 90s, early 2000s, loved a band called Caveman's Call. Any of you remember Caveman's Call? Loved them. They used to write some great stuff. We used to sing their song. Their lead singer who wrote some great music, Derek Webb, he has completely apostatized and walked away from the faith. He said, everything I believed, I don't believe anymore. It's bunk. It's, it's not true. I'm an atheist. How do you write what you wrote and get there? Joshua Harris. Remember, I kissed dating goodbye. I was never a fan of the book. Joshua Harris kissed Christianity goodbye. He went to seminary. He pastored one of the largest churches in Maryland for like 10 years, went to seminary afterwards, and then walked away from the faith. And now he doesn't believe anything. Left his wife, doesn't believe anything now. How does that happen? Can they come back? Look, if they, like the prodigal son, one day wake up and, have, and, and they come to their senses, as, as Jesus says, would God welcome them back? Absolutely. It's not my job to find out who crossed the line. All I'm saying is there's a group of people and maybe probably in this room today that have been exposed to the truth or walking in with people in the truth or reading their Bibles or serving and, and, and they walk away. I've seen, I've only been here 16 years, but I remember, I can remember many, and this is an encouragement and challenge to some young people, many a college student, a SCAD student who's on fire for the Lord, young life leader, everything else, and 15 years later, they're not walking with God at all. They don't, believe, they don't believe anything anymore. Like, what happened? They became dull of hearing? I, I don't know, right? The, the group in Matthew 7 in the Sermon on the Mount that say, Lord, didn't we prophesy your name, cast out your name, and do many works in your name? They seem to think that 
they're in and he says, I never knew you. I, I, didn't, I don't care if you went to community group. I don't care how much money you gave. Right? And it's, this passage is, is, is a warning that don't traffic in Christianity and not respond. Don't sit under mediocre preaching but not respond to it. Don't hear what God is saying and harden your heart. Today, if you hear his voice, harden, don't harden your heart. That, that, that's what he's been saying, right? Don't be sluggish. Don't be lazy. And, and we shouldn't be shocked that people walk away because Jesus, he told in his most famous parable, the parable of the sower, there's four types of soil, one type of seed. There's one gospel that goes out. There's four soils. There's a soil that falls and the, the birds take it away. It's, Satan takes it away before it goes, goes anywhere. There's soil... That, that has the seed fall and it sprouts out for a little bit and it gets excited, but then it, the sun comes and scorches it. Life just happens and they're just out. There's soil that falls and it starts to grow and it looks good, but the thorns and the, just the troubles and money and stuff chokes it out. And then there's soil that bears fruit. And only one of them is legitimate fruit. And Jesus said it. And that's why he next, the writer goes right there. That's where he, the illustration he uses. The land that has drunk the rain that falls on it produces a crop useful. For those whose sake it's cultivated, it receives a blessing. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it's worthless and near to being cursed. It's end to be burned. He said, the rain comes to all the fields. One has thorns, one has fruit. Which one's good? Which one's blessed? The one with fruit. Which one's cursed? The one that keeps getting rain, keeps getting the same rain, keeps getting the same rain, and does nothing with it. It doesn't grow. It just produces thorns and thistles, Right? And what we want to do and be honest with ourselves is, look, has there been any fruit, any growth? Is there thorns and thistles? God's been faithful. God has been good. God has revealed himself. He has given you creation. He has given you the scriptures. He's given you believers. He's given all these things. How are you responding? Or are you just thorns, 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 thorns? He says, that's a dangerous place. Because if growth has never happened, if never been growth, then there's, there's one of two issues. One, there's never been life or, or there's something broken that needs to be fixed. Something that needs to change. And that's where he's, he's challenging. And, he, and he's confident. He says, though we speak to you in this way, he said, beloved, we're, we're sure of better things for you. Things that belong to salvation. He said, look, I know that I'm, I'm being hard here. This is a big stake. I know this start. He said, but I'm confident in y'all. I know that you're real. Why? Because God is not unjust to overlook your work. And the love that you have shown for his name and serving the saints. And you still do. I said, I've seen fruit in your lives. There's been fruit. You have love for one another. You're serving one another. God is not unjust. He, he doesn't miss anything. And, and that's just, by the way, application. Two signs that there's fruit. You love the, the brothers and sisters. And you serve them. Two basic ones. If you never have a, a love for the, for, the, for the people of God and you never serve the people of God, then there may never have been life. But he says, hey, I've seen it in y'all. That's true. And we desire for all of it. We desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the same full assurance of hope until the end. I want you to have assurance. The, 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 the heart of the writer and the spirit and, and me is not for you to go home and be like, oh, I got to invite Jesus in my heart for the 83rd time, make sure it's stuck. It's not that we walk around in fear like, oh, is it real? Am I really a Christian? Am I really a Christian? The heart is assurance. God wants you to be assured 1 John is a book about assurance that these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have right now eternal life. God is for assurance, right? So he says, I want you to be assured. I want you to know. 
I want you to bear fruit. I want you to grow. I want you to be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. You're like, I don't know what to do. Then grab someone that's, that's more mature and say, teach me. Give me a steak. I'm sick of the tricks. Right? Give me a steak. So that's the heart of the writer. He's, he's not trying to be mean. He's saying, you have a high priest who has invited you into the holy place. Come on, let's grow. Let's get off the lucky charms. They're fine once in a while, but we need the old 96er. You need a pork chop. You need a Caesar salad. There you go. But you need some sustenance. And so the question for us is this, and this is where I want to land. So what does growth look like? How do we grow? What does maturity look like for this writer? And we could go, you know, through the Gospels, the book of Acts. Let me, let me say what, show what he says, right? You go back to verse 14. Solid food is for who? It's for the mature. Who are the mature? Those who have their powers of discernment trained. Trained to do what? Distinguish good from evil. See, a baby doesn't know good from evil, right? If a baby's crawling on the ground and they see something, they will pick it up and do what? It doesn't matter what it is. It could be a penny, a stick, dog doo-doo. It doesn't matter. They'll just grab it and put it in their mouth. Why? Because they're inexperienced. They don't know good from evil. They'll put their finger in the socket. They'll be at the top of the stairs looking down and, and be like, this looks fun. I'm going down. And they will go down. They don't know. That's why they need you to care for them and protect them and train them. But that's, that's what maturity is, distinguishing good from evil. How does that happen? He says, it, your discernment is trained, how? Through constant practice. It's practice, right? That's how we get good at things. That's how we learn things, right? Practice. And so here, here's kind of the equation I've created, hopefully to just kind of, this will stick for you. I'm bringing you back to like high school math or high school chemistry or high school physics, right? I got the chalkboard out. Here we go. Here's your equation. Christian maturity. Three things, right? There's a T, there's a D, there's a P. And, and please, just if you're a physics teacher, chemistry teacher, don't come up and tell me I should have squared something or put it in parentheses. I don't care. This is for like the simple people here, right? Okay. So we need three facets of maturity, you need a T, a D, and a P. What's a T? T is time. D is diet. And P is practice. All things from this. Now, you need all three. You can't just have one. You can't have two. You can't just have time. It can't just be maturity equals time. Why? He says, by this time, you all should be, but you're not. So we know it's not just time. And it can't be just practice, because if you don't have uh, the diet and the information to practice, then you don't know what you're supposed to do. If you're, if you're a newbie, you're like, I don't know, should I go down the stairs or not? Should I put my finger in the socket or not? So you need, so you need some, some diet, you need some information, right? And, and you need uh, just, just time to practice doing things and get better, right? So, so let's talk about time. Time is the one thing that's flexible here. Because you can be a Christian for two, three years and be very mature. You can be a Christian for 30 years and be very immature. The difference is how do you deal with diet and how you deal with practice. But here's what I would say. Some of you are brand new Christians, and it's okay to be brand new and not know anything, right? But some of you have been Christians for 10, 15, 20 years, and you haven't grown up at all, and the encouragement is this, that's ultimately on you. It's on you. Because the disciples were Christians for like three years. They were with Jesus for three years. Paul gets saved, goes away for two years, and comes back. He's the apostle Paul. Time was not the issue there. The early church, they would go to a church town, they'd be there for a year, they'd appoint elders. These guys have been Christians for six months, eight months, and they're now leading the church. Time was 
It just needs to be sometime. But if you've been a believer for 15 years and you're still singing the ABC song, then that's kind of on you because we have resources galore that they never had. They didn't even have New Testament. They didn't have a Bible. They didn't have a copy of the Old Testament. The synagogue might. They might have one letter. And so that's on us. You, but that, that doesn't, you can start today. You can put the tricks away today and you can go and get yourself a, a turkey club afterwards, right? You can start today. But time, you don't have to have 40 years and now I'm ready. No, no. But you need a little time. But the big ones are diet and practice. Let's talk about diet, right? Just like in the physical world, you are what you eat. You live on Lucky Charms, you're going to have diabetes. Your BMI is going to be high. You're going to be, you're going to be out of shape in the physical world. You live on spiritual Lucky Charms, that's what it will be in the spiritual world. You got to guard what you put in your heart. Music, blogs, movies, the world is trying to infiltrate and full of sensuality and all this garbage. And I, look, I was 14 too, and I used the excuse, yeah, I just like the beat. I like the beat. I don't listen to the lyrics. Can we put that argument away, please? That's the dumbest argument ever. Yes, you like the beat. Okay. And I'm not anti-secular music. You know that I think that, you know, the 80s have the best music of all time right? You know that I think Journey is the greatest band in the world. I, I just do. So I'm not anti-secular music, but I said, you have to guard what you put in, right? If you're watching things with, with sensuality and naked people, you, if you think that's not going to impact you, it is, right? And so you've got to guard that. Romans 12 too, we've looked at it before, that, that do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed, how? Renewing your mind. Why? That you know what God's will is. That's good, acceptable, and perfect. That's what he's talking about here. How do you know good from evil? You renew your mind. So the positive is you gotta, you gotta be putting things in that are good. Good meals, good diet. And, and let me encourage you. There's, there's some great resources out there that are quick when you're on, on the fly. But if you're only living on 30-second devos in the car, that's not enough. Right? There's some great resources that are 30, you know, daily, our daily bread and these little two-minute thing on the radio. Those are helpful. They are, really are. But no good meal is made in, tw- in two minutes. It's just not. My son, a few weeks ago, and he went out and got steaks, and he cooked them, and he took time, and he put stuff on them, and then he cooked them, and they were delicious. That took time. You can't cook a good meal in the microwave. And, and I'm, I, Easy Mac is not a good meal. I know it's great for, like, kids got baseball, but Easy Mac is not a good meal. Although it is taste good, I know. Sometimes you need a steak and it's going to take some time marinating. And my encouragement is this. Get up early. Get a good cup of coffee. I'm not talking about Keurig. That's not good coffee. Get a good cup of coffee. Read God's word. Ask him to speak to you through it. And marinate in it and sit in it. Ask him to speak. Write your notes. Think about it. Right? That's what I'm talking about. It doesn't have to be every day, but you need a good meal here and there, y'all. Some of you are famished. You're famished. And you're, and you're not growing because you're, you, you, know, you have osteoporosis spiritually because all you're doing is eating tricks. And so the encouragement is, hey, man, read a psalm a day. Memorize a verse a week. Listen to a great sermon on the way to work. Get some good truth in your, in your soul, right? Because there's no quick fix to growth. It just doesn't happen. And then the big one is Practice. Talk about practice, man. Alan Iverson, I remember that. That's, that's what I keep thinking about. But he, he says this, solid food is for who? The mature, who have their powers of discernment trained. That word trained, we get our English word from the Greek word. It's, it's, the, it's the Greek word that's it's translated basically gymnasium. This is 
the planet fitness model, right? You want to you wanna grow? There's got to be some practice, man. Have you ever seen that commercial? It comes on, you know, like, it's like you put this little waist belt on and it shoots electric stuff in your, and you get abs. You can get abs by sitting on the couch and eating Funyuns. Don't buy it. Nobody gets abs eating Funyuns watching, you know, reruns of uh, Happy Days. You know how you get abs? Cut your fats and get, do some crunches. That's how you get abs. Not from wearing a belt that shoots electricity into you. Like, ooh, that feels great. Yeah. It's practice, right? That's how you get strong, it's practice. And so, a simple step. If you never resist temptation, you will never be strong. What is that temptation that you give into every time? Resist it one time. And what you'll have done is you'll take a small step of growth so that next time that temptation comes, you'll be that much, just a little bit stronger, but that much stronger, and then you take it again. And then you take it again. And next thing you know, You've actually stopped cussing and dropping F-bombs every other minute because you've resisted temptation. And, and it takes some time. And you're going to fail. Like, one step of obedience. What's the one thing that God has been telling you to do and you know it, but you're not doing it? And you're still, maybe, I mean, for four years, God's been saying, you need to get baptized. You haven't been baptized. You, you need to be part of this. You need to be serving. You need to be, you have never given to the work of God. And I don't care about your money. I don't need your money. But my, what I want is you to be building into the kingdom. And you've never trusted God and said, hey, I'm going to invest in the kingdom of God. Maybe it's, uh, you know that you should have broke up with old boy. But you're scared. You need to stop lying to your parents, showing up later, whatever, gossiping about them, slandering them. What is the one thing? And what, what the, the challenge is this. You want to grow? Take one step of obedience. Tomorrow, Monday morning, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to wake up, I'm going to read God's word, renew my mind, and I'm going to take one step of obedience. And then you know what the next thing is? Do it on Tuesday. And then do it on Wednesday. And then Thursday. And then Friday. Sleeping on Saturday and coming to church on Sunday. And you know what happened? You just took a walk. It's a small walk. But you put a couple of those walks together. Do you know what you've done? You've gone 100 yards. You've done a quarter mile. And you know what? You continue to do that. You know what you got? You have a walk worthy of your calling, worthy of the gospel, which is what Paul calls us to. Not perfect. You're going to fall off the sidewalk sometimes. Scrape your knee. That's okay. You get back up. That's what growth looks like. So that you look back over five years, you're like, man, I didn't see it because I'm only going one step at a time. But look how far I've come. It's kind of like, you know, when you have kids and you put the growth chart on the wall. My parents didn't do this for me because it would have been depressing. <laughs> they just were weeping. He's in the one, first per, one percentile. Uh, yeah. But some of you, you know, my, thankfully my kids are all taller than me now. and we can, you, you can see. But even if it's two inches a year, you're like, I, you didn't see that two inches. But guess what? After a year, two inches. You're wearing a size 11 and a half shoe. That's unbelievable. Praise God. Right? That's growth. It's not fast. We're not into instant gratification. We're not into, but it's, hey, I'm going to renew my a healthy diet over time with a little bit of practice. And what happens? We'll grow up. Are you going to be perfect? No. You will not be perfect until the Lord Jesus takes you home to be with him and gives you a new body. And then you'll be perfect. But until that time, you can, but you can grow. And if you're like, I don't know what to do, then you grab someone, chapter six, verse 11, and and imitate them. This is the kind of guy I want to be. This is the kind of gal I want to be. Show me what it looks like. And and that's what we do. 
But the challenge, just listen to my heart here. I don't even know if you're going to understand chapter four through, verses four through eight. I don't ultimately care. But what I want is this. I don't want any of us to be deceived thinking I go to CBC. I sit under the word. I've been baptized. And to think, I'm fine. I want us to look back and say, we've grown. That's it. How much, that's, a, that's between you and God. But I, I want us to grow. I don't want us to be deceived. I definitely don't want us to be whatever four through eight is. I don't want us to be that, right? And so we don't, and we don't want to have just, get, just get, get enough Christianity that's like, a, like an immunization where it, it gets me enough of the disease that I don't actually catch the real, the real thing. And so just be honest. That's what we do. Let's be honest and look back and let's grow together. Not perfectly, but let's, let's, let's be able to say, yeah, I was this, now I'm this. That's, that's what God wants. He wants us to bear fruit. He's given us the rain. Now he wants us to bear fruit. And if you've got challenges with that and you're like, I haven't grown in five years. Hey, that's a lot of us. Today, start. Let's put away the tricks. Let's pick up, this, let's pick up the steak knife or the salad fork, whatever you want. Let me pray and we'll sing. Father, uh, I pray that whatever... Uh, Wherever we're at, each one of us, and you know, I mean, there's nothing, we've read it in chapter four, there's nothing that's hidden from you, that there's nothing that you do not know. Uh, wherever we're at, that we would respond. We are saved by grace through faith. It is a gift of God. It is not a result of works, so that no one can boast. We, we believe that full heartedly, but we also know that you say next that we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, that we would walk in them. So let us embrace and celebrate the foundational truths, the, 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 the doctrines of Christ, of what he has done. And then let's build upon it and, and, and imitate you and follow you. And we trust that you will bear fruit in our lives. And, and if we haven't been bearing fruit, Lord, that today would be the day that we start. And that we'd be honest with ourselves. Pray in Christ's name.